0: Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen.
1: All right, all right, all right. By show of hands, who think 2020 has been just just an incredibly crazy ride? I mean, we're only a day or two left with 2020, but... Just go ahead, raise your hand. Nobody's watching. Who thinks 2020 has been one of the toughest years around? You know, (laughs) um, this year, this is the last episode of this year on the new Human Living Radio Show. And this year, every single time I start the episode, I think of what happened in the last week, and and the bar has always been raised about how crazy stuff can get on planet Earth. So we've only got a day or so left of 2020, and it'll be hindsight. But what I really like about tonight's show is the power behind the topic Now, the topic tonight is de-escalate how to calm an angry person in 90 seconds or less. And our guest tonight is Douglas Knowles. And for the record, for our seasoned listeners, Douglas Knoll is the husband of Alea Dow, who's been on the show many times. She was even on a Roundtable episode this year. Um, It's always nice uh, having her on the show, and I'm delighted to have Doug on the show for the first time. But let's... Let's take another look at this twenty twenty thing because I mean we've we've picked it apart in about every direction you can think of on the show. I suggest to you that the what should I call it? The rototiller effect of twenty twenty, the deep cleaning cycle of twenty twenty, the um the hardcore cleanse, if you will. And it hasn't all been graceful, but so many people have been turned on their heads. Their lives have been turned upside down. Um, they've Perhaps before 2020, they go to work every day. They spend eight hours with their buddies, go out to lunch, uh, have all kinds of social interaction, and then, boom, they're told to work from home. And now their mother-in-law is working at home, too. And now it's been, you know... 10 months of mother-in-law in in the house and you in the house 24-7. Now, that can be stressful. 2020 turns um, people's lives on its head in so many ways. Um, In so many ways. That sentence, in so many ways, I think has a unique advantage to it. Who could have guessed where we are now with 2020 a year ago? The last few days of 2019, who could have raised their head and said, I see a gigantic karmic tsunami coming. I mean, it kind of blindsided us all. But getting back to how it stirred us up on so many levels, how so many of our emotions have been stirred up, that never ever would have been stirred up quote, normally, unquote. But 2020 is the triumph victor. 2020 came in and said hold my beer. 2020 came in and showed us narratives and dialogues that none of us could have guessed. So many of us are well, if you look at the collective overall, there's people that are very afraid. They're addicted to fear. They're, they're like the rat in the cage pushing the bar over and over and over again, getting a dose of fear moment to moment to moment, and you better not tell them to let go of that bar because they're afraid. And there's peoples whose industries have shut down. Their industries have shut down No music concerts, no um, conventions, convention centers. I mean, it doesn't take long to see how 2020 has affected so many people. But let's get down to the human effect. Let's get down to the mechanics of this human effect. So we've all had this rototiller effect in our psyche. And we've been stirred up all year long. Well, how can we harvest, I know it sounds a little whacked, but all this unsettledness in our psyche, all this upheaval in our psyche, all these emotions that we never would have felt before, and here they are kind of raw, kind of real, coming out of our persona, coming out into our everyday life, and maybe it's not always quite so pleasant. How can we leverage this? this insight into ourselves, we're seeing emotions we never would have seen before. What's a vantage point we can take with some of this upheaval that can maybe catapult us into a much more healthy uh, emotional demeanor with ourselves, catapult us so we have the courage to step into emotions we never would have wanted to face before with risk and and kind of show some skin in the game. Tonight's episode's got a lot of power behind it because our guest Douglas Knoll knows what he's talking about. He's got a lot of experience and the book he's written is is it's very powerful. It's very powerful. I think we should get to it, but I wanted to I wanted you to think about yourself on on supercharge on turbo if you really were able to develop emotional skills for yourself and then you could start having inspiration from your heart your soul and you roll up your sleeves and i say i know i'm going to have some emotional reactions but i'm going to get it done i'm going to this is my heart my soul talking to me I'm not going to be afraid of emotions I've never felt before. I'm not going to be afraid of what might or might not happen if these emotions come up. Well, let's get to it. Again, the topic tonight, de-escalate, how to calm an angry person in 90 seconds or less. And our guest tonight is Douglas Knoll. He is the author of the book, which is the title of the show tonight, De-escalate. How to Calm an Angry Person in 90 Seconds or Less. Now, Douglas is an award-winning lawyer-mediator who has mediated thousands of conflicts. His calling is to serve humanity, and he executes this calling at many levels. He is an award-winning author of three books, a teacher, a speaker, and a trainer. His fourth book the topic of tonight's show, De-Escalate, was published by Beyond Worlds Publishing in September of 2017. It is now published in four languages, and it's in its second printing. Doug's work carries him from international work to helping people resolve deep interpersonal and ideological conflicts. He is the co-founder of Prison of Peace and creator of the null effect labeling system. He was a successful trial lawyer for 22 years before leaving the practice of law to dedicate his life to constructive solutions to human conflict. In 2012, Doug was honored by California Lawyer Magazine as California Attorney of the Year. Join me in welcoming Douglas to the show. Douglas. I'm so glad to finally have you on the show.
0: Les, of course, I've heard about you for years from my wife, Alea, so I'm equally pleased to be here finally.
1: Well, you've written a really powerful book, and there's so many places we could take this, but... um, Uh, when we had our pre-show chat the other day, we were talking about the prison system and incarnation. Uh, A lot of times uh, people in that kind of a situation can really have a sense of feeling hopelessness, uh, perhaps a sense of um, really deep despair. For for you to step up and, and take that on with your Prison of Peace program, what what made you roll up your sleeves so much and kind of get into the nitty gritty of it all?
0: Well, uh, the way it started was one day in August of 2009, uh, a friend of mine, a fellow mediator and law professor from Southern California, called me, and her name was Laurel Coffer, and she said, "Hey, you got a minute?" And I said, "Yeah, let me read you this letter." I just Got And she was standing at her mailbox, and she'd received a handwritten letter from a woman who was serving a life sentence without possibility of parole in the largest, most violent women's prison in the world, which happened to be located in Chowchilla, California, about an hour and 15 or 20 minutes from where I live. This woman was writing to ask if Laurel would come into the prison and train all the life inmates, of which there were about 100, 150 how to be mediators and peacemakers so they could stop the violence in the prison. They were just tired of it. They knew they weren't getting out. And they were just these young inmates would come in off the streets, super hot, and need to prove themselves and just was creating chaos. And these just women wanted a quiet place to live. Right. So Laurel read the letter to me, and uh, she said, what do you think? And I thought about it for a nanosecond and took a deep breath, and I said, well, you know, I think that if this is the real deal, we should do it. So we spent the next six months uh, clearing all the administrative hurdles and dealing with one of the most inefficient bureaucracies in the world, the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation, and uh, eventually got permission to move forward, and we started training our first 17 women in March of 2010. And we we worked in the women's prison for two and a half years until we built up a cadre of trainers. And then the prison was retasked to become a men's prison, and the women uh, were sent off to other women's prisons. And in 2013, we came back to the same physical facility, which was now a men's prison, and we started training our first male inmates. And we had no idea how it would work. But today, we are in 15 California prisons, 14 prisons in Greece, a prison in Connecticut, and we have startups in Nairobi, Kenya, and in Italy. Of course, everything this year has been on hold because of COVID, but we've trained over 20,000 inmates to be peacemakers and mediators in maximum security prisons in the institutions that we worked in. And of the approximately 800 inmates of ours that have gone through our training, that have been released. There are zero reports of recidivism. Not one of our inmates has ever reoffended. They're all leading productive lives post prison. It's quite remarkable. Wow.
1: Well, so prison is a sense. I mean, that letter clearly conveyed a, a sense of despair, where there was hopeless violence, and they were tr- looking for anything to to get them out of it i got to imagine there's hundreds of thousands or millions of people that have lost their jobs or they've gone back to drinking or domestic violence has kicked up in their household now that dad lost their job. There can be a real sense of hopelessness in our homes. And Now, you've affected 20,000-plus people through the prison system and transformed their life. 2020 has left a lot of people devastated and and they're dealing with raw and rough emotions that perhaps they've never thought in their life they would be confronted with even a year ago. Give us a a big picture of your book and how it it can be a tool when we bump up against um, strong emotional situations.
0: Sure. The, uh, starting with the, at the 50,000 feet, I, got, I, I went back to school in the late 1990s to gain my master's degree in peacemaking and conflict studies because I was really dissatisfied with the legal system as a way of resolving human conflict, even though I had a very successful trial practice, civil trial practice. Um, and while I was studying for my master's degree, I became interested in neuroscience because it occurred to me that everything that we experience and all our behaviors and everything starts in the brain and the central nervous system. So I started a a lifelong journey of becoming a lay student of neuroscience and trying to understand, you know, what, what's really going on here. Why do people fight? What do they fight about? And how do we restore their brains to places where they can reconcile and and be peaceful? So, uh, In the same light, although I had tremendous academic training uh, in that program, I was taught by just some really brilliant people, Um, no one, not there or anywhere else, had really come across a good way to calm people down. And, of course, as a mediator, that's (laughs) kind of the sin qua non of my job, right, is to get people to calm down so that they can have a conversation about how to solve their problems. But we were, we were pretty much all left with this garbage from the 1960s called active listening. Uh, it was, active listening was coined by, by a psychologist, a man by the name of Roger Gordon, who was a student of Carl Rogers. And unfortunately, his work was completely misinterpreted, and I will say perverted, uh, so that you had a, an extremely ineffectual form of listening that actually made things worse, not better. And, and we've all experienced this, the use of I statements. What I hear you saying is X or what I think you're feeling is Y or whatever. Yeah, th- No science to support any of this. And uh, and, it, and it doesn't work. If it worked, everybody would be using it. But the fact of the matter, it, it doesn't work. And still, it's taught in mediation trainings and graduate schools, even the graduate school that I go to, that some professors are still teaching this really discredited method of listening to people. So I stumbled by pure accident on a completely different way of de-escalating people, which was instead of listening to the words, listen to the emotions. And it it was just by happenstance that I stumbled onto this uh, in 2004 in a very difficult mediation. And I uh, just observed an amazing effect when people ignore the words, and listened to each other's emotions and reflected those emotions back with a simple use statement. And that's, that's really what the process is all about. And then in 2007, Matthew Lieberman, who's a neuroscientist at UCLA published a brain scanning study that shows what happens in the brain when emotions are labeled in the way that I had discovered in this mediation in 2004. So now I had science to show me exactly what was going on and why it worked. And, and with that, now you going into all the theory of it. Um, essentially, what happens is when we become emotional, our prefrontal cortex, if it's an intense emotional experience, our prefrontal cortex is basically shut down. And the neural circuits that are involved with emotion sort of dominate because it's forcing us to pay attention right now. And once the prefrontal cortex shuts down, it no longer can, can engage in emotional regulation. So, but when we affect label... This is the process of listening to and reflecting emotions, a strange thing happens in the brain. And what Lieberman showed in his scanning studies is that when we label somebody's emotions and reflect those emotions back, the uh, emotional centers of the brain become inhibited. And at the same time, the prefrontal cortex is activated. And literally this happens in about 30 seconds, 30 to 45 seconds. So now I had the science, I had the, the process, and all that really remained for me to do is to start practicing it and teaching it. And so that's what I did. From 2000, basically, I started teaching it in 2004 when I discovered it and started refining it. And then, but people were really giving me a difficult time because it's so counterintuitive to what everybody thinks is going on, and seems to violate social norms. It just, it's just weird. So that's when the prison project started, and Laurel and I decided that the foundation of our teaching would be teaching inmates how to listen to emotions. And we saw, of course, you know, when you're in a maximum security prison dealing with life inmates, many of whom have committed some kind of homicide or another, you know, we were dealing in a pretty rough, violent place. And so what we decided is that we would only teach stuff that, one, was backed by science, and, two, worked every time without fail absolute failure proof. And so we spent 10 years uh, teaching inmates these skills as a foundation before we taught them how to be mediators and peacemakers. And the stories and transformations that occurred were just unbelievable. So uh, over the years, inmates asked for a book. They wanted me to write it, but they knew I was an author. They wanted me to write a book about all of this because they wanted something to transfer to their families because they, they were getting this, what they were considered to be absolutely priceless information and priceless skills. And they wanted to help their families out. So eventually I said, yes. And I wrote the book. I wrote the manuscript in 2016 and it was published in the fall of 2017. And that's basically how this all started. And it's, pretty much dominates my whole life now. I teach de-escalation skills. Um, I've come to realize now that emotional competency is a really critical life skill, so I'm actually in the process of building an online course on how to develop your emotional competency. It's a skill that is not taught in schools. It's not taught in the families. Uh, Emotions in our society are are, uh, considered evil and bad and uncontrollable and chaotic. Not true. But it's a philo- it's it, this is a result of three thousand years of philosophy and theology of people who simply did not know and were simply guessing at what human nature was all about. But in the last twenty years, with the advent of amazing uh brain imaging technologies, neuroscientists have been able to explore the brain in great detail, and we have a much we have, there's still much to learn, but we have a much better understanding of how we tick than we did 20 years sure. ago. And we're learning that right. a, lot of the, a lot of the beliefs around human nature are simply not supportable by science. So, for example, one of the things that I teach is that we're 98% emotional and only 2% rational. You know, this flies in the face of what everybody thinks. It com- it, it, and the implications of that are deep and profound socially. Uh, but it's true, and you can't refute well, the science. We are, everything we do is emotional.
1: Well, let's let's put some faces on this uh, now you talk about the frontal cortex shutting down and the regulation of emotions waning and uh, that's that's um, the traditional situation what would that look like in a personal in in somebody's life in their personal life they're feeling emotions come up and since they're uh, frontal cortex is shutting down. They're losing an an element of uh, um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like a, a rationale or a logic or some intuition. And then, well, and then and then talk about what happens with your process when you bring the frontal cortex back in. But but related sure. to somebody's life, so people can relate to. Um how their life looks, and make a comparison to it,
0: sure, so let's just take a kind of a classic example of a, a couple and and something happens they get into an argument, and the man gets enraged and he he puts his fist through a wall. Um, it happens way way too often. <laughs> but it's pretty classic. Uh, So what's going on there? He does not, first of all, that man is not emotionally competent. Most human beings are not emotionally competent because it's a set of skills that have to be learned and practiced. We don't learn these things. But what's going on with him is that he is experiencing um, a neurophysiological concept known as affect. And this is basically anger rage. We're born with anger-rage as part of of our neural networks. And what happens is that when he is unable to process that anger-rage by labeling it as anger-rage, in other words, his prefrontal cortex is offline so he can no longer access his emotional database to say what to explain, to bring into consciousness what it is he's experiencing, all he does is he just has this somatic, this physical sensation of, needing to do something violent right now to stop the rage. And so this through the wall, or if it's worse, domestic violence, or if it's worse than that, you know, getting out and really hurting somebody with a weapon. Right. And, and that is, that, that's typically what happens. So when we affect label somebody, you'll say something like, Les, you are really angry. You're just enraged right now. You are so mad you can spit bullets. And then there are, more, there are always more emotions that follow. And so you don't feel respected. You don't feel listened to. You don't feel appreciated. Nothing you do is ever right. You feel like you're constantly being criticized. And it just really, really, really pisses you off. And you're sad because you want to be loved. And you don't feel loved. And you feel completely abandoned. Typically, just doing that. All of a sudden, that guy in total rage, he'll he'll calm down in literally the time that it took me to make those statements. That's how fast the brain can process this information. Because, as I said before, I'm lending my prefrontal cortex to you, Les, so (laughs) that you can process your affective experience, this physiological experience you're having in your brain and central nervous system, and you can process it. Categorize it, understand it, and then begin to make choices about how you want to respond to this experience you're having that we call emotion. Well, and, I like it.
1: What, so what you're saying is, um, when the frontal cortex drops out and the raw rage emotion inflames whatever the the body persona, and the and the mind is like, this has got to stop. And so there's really blunt um, choices that are made and it lashes out in violence. And then you offer, as a a person outside of that uh, emotional uh, storm, your frontal cortex, and you take the identification of the emotion and you present it to that person so they can now contextualize it, which they couldn't have done before because their frontal cortex was shut down. And then they had a context in which to um, understand what was going on and a sense of control came into their persona. Is that right?
0: Exactly correct. Well stated.
1: So let's flip it over. The women can't get off the hook here. So what if I'm a compulsive credit card shopper and I'm scared to death and I don't really talk about it much, but it's a raw fear of mine it doesn't matter the logic behind it but i feel like i have to constantly buy crap and and there's a fear behind that how can i i mean let's let's put many faces on this tool so people can make their own adaptation of their own scenario
0: well that you know when you're talking about an addictive disorder of the kind that you're describing um there's so, uh... I don't, a, a I'm not a I don't want to pigeonhole yeah, you.
1: I don't want to if there's a better example.
0: <laughs> no, no, but it, uh, we can use that example. But I, I, but I need to be careful about, you know, where the where I can draw the lines. So first of all, com- any kind of compulsive behavior like that is is a form of addictive behavior. It's usually normally it's caused by trauma, uh, unprocessed trauma, and, you know, it's. The, the, the compulsive behavior is sometimes it can be sometimes it's genetic sometimes it's caused by literal physical defects in the brain sometimes it's caused by uh, responses to, to traumatic events so the first thing I would say is that woman probably needs to see a professional and get some help unpacking whatever it is that has caused the the, the obsessive addictive behavior in the first place however if i were if I were if that Women were say in front of me in a mediation, of, and, and I would, and, and this came up and it was an issue. I would, I would say something like, "Sarah, you you are, you're really frightened, and you're really anxious. You don't feel appreciated, you don't feel respected. Nobody listens to you. Um, you feel a lot of shame, and you're afraid that you're going to be seen for what you think you are, which is an impostor and a big fraud. And you don't feel loved. You feel completely abandoned." And this whole thing is making you very angry, but you're also scared because your behavior is a little out of control, and so you're really worried about what's going to happen to you. And just by doing that in that moment, she'll calm down. Now, that's not enough to, to, you know, to help her, you know, deal with right. the deeper problems that she might she's probably facing. But in the moment, it can calm her down so that she can make a a better, clearer decision um, without having all this emotional uh, baggage on top of her that's going to interfere with good decision-making. And so that's how you would use it.
1: When you say calming down, I completely and totally see the value of what you're talking about because in the moment, um, the lack of... Uh, emotional
0: competency—the
1: um, ability to calm down—might be fleeting or flat it's, out gone. It's gone. And it's gone.
0: So, it's just not there. Well,
1: so, so the the better we can uh, dismantle the the mechanisms and the elements that are causing this repetitive pattern that keep people stuck. How can they um, – your your book talks about de-escalating an angry person in front of you uh, of sorts, and you're offering your frontal cortex to them so they can um, uh, bring an understanding back to the the mechanism that's playing out. Is there a, a practice or technique where an individual can learn that for themselves?
0: Absolutely. Um, so, you have, there are different forms of emotional self regulation around this practice. One is third, what I would call third party affect labeling. And basically, that's where I am reading your emotional data field less, and I'm reflecting to you your emotional experience as you experience it in the moment. And I'm going to do that with you statements. You are angry, you are unappreciated, you are sad, whatever it might be. I can also use self-affect labeling. In other words, I can label my own emotions, if I'm able to, uh, and it has the same effect. So I could feel frustration, for example, and I could say, oh, I'm feeling really frustrated right now. I'm kind of angry. I'm kind of pissed off. I don't feel respected. I don't feel appreciated. Nobody's listening to me. And just by engaging in that self-reflection, you create the same effect as if somebody was affect labeling you. And so part of what I teach is how, not only how to calm down other people, but how to use this concept of affect labeling to calm yourself down when you're experiencing, you know, some intense emotion. It's, and it takes a little bit of practice, but not a lot. I mean, everybody can learn it. We all have the capacity to learn this. So it's just a, it's just a matter of how dedicated you are. Another place no. that I just wanted to touch on, touch on just very quickly is children. Um, One of the most powerful things we can do for our children is to label their emotions. We have this crazy belief that children should be rational and they aren't, they're just emotional little messes. And and because it takes a long time, it takes 24 years to learn, to to get to adulthood, mental, brain adulthood. Um, Brains do not become adults at 18. They become, the the, the human brain is fully mature only at 24 years old, which is why the car rental companies will not rent to anybody under 24 years old, 25 years old, because the impulse control isn't there yet. And it's only when you get to be about 24, 25, that, that your brain has fully matured. So one of the things that we have to do as parents is help our children develop the capacity to manage their own emotions. And the best way to do that is to label their emotions. So let's just say a child, I, this is a great example. I got it on a Facebook comment the other day. So the parent says, my six-year-old son was kicking the table and I, or he was scraping his chair across a, a, a new finished wood floor and he was about to ding the floor up. So I told him to stop. And he understood and stopped. But then his little four-year-old sister started egging him on to, to do it some more <laughs> because she wanted to get him in trouble. And I, he, this guy's writing to me, and he says, um, you know, I immediately got angry at her and sent her to her bedroom. And so he said, what should I have done? And I said, all right, consequences are important for small children, but before you can administer any consequences or talk about consequences for misbehavior, you've got to calm that child down. Otherwise, the lesson won't take. All the, the child, All the child will know is that you're mad, and she's bad. She, won't, right. she will never grasp the lesson that she should not have egged on her brother because she's not capable of rational thought. So what you would say to her is you would say, um, Sally, you're, you're, pretty, you're, you're kind of excited that you're getting your brother John there to scrape the chair across the cross floor, and you think it's pretty funny. And you're pretty amused by all of this, and you're kind of excited to see what's going to happen if you can egg him on and see if something will happen. And you really don't feel like anybody's paying attention to you right now. You're a little sad because you're being ignored because you're the four-year-old. And you you want people to pay attention to you and respect you. And she will react to that. She will say, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. And she will then calm down. That's when you can start talking about consequences. And it's at that point in time that you can start talking about Is it appropriate to egg your brother on to doing something that you know is wrong? Right. Now, what do most parents do? Most parents will yell at their child. They'll say, don't do that. Stop that. Go to your room. You know, they'll get get harsh and punitive and dismiss their emotions. I'll give you another example of this in a second. And that's the worst thing you can do to that child's brain. The worst thing. And the research is so clear. I mean, there are just hundreds of papers out there, research studies that show that when you approach parenting that way, you are actually destroying the child's brain. You're not growing it. So I'll give you another example real quick. This is common. You, you, this happened to you. I can guarantee this happened to you. So two years old. Imagine that you're two years old, and you're outside running around, and you fall down, and you scrape your knee, and you start crying. What are you told by the adults? What were you told, Les? Uh,
1: they, they weren't
0: around. <laughs> my, uh, okay. My, so I, I, was was told, I was told to stop crying, be a man, don't be a sissy, little boys, real men don't cry. And I was told to not to feel any emotion. Right. And this is called right. emotional invalidation. And emotional invalidation is what I call the first deadly sin. Because, again, the science shows that when you emotionally invalidate a child... You are engaging in a form of emotional abuse that, if persistent over a long period of time, as it is for most children, even with the most well-intentioned parents, leads to horrible health outcomes later in life. Obesity, chronic pulmonary obstructive disease, cancer, addiction, relationship problems, and divorce. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on and on about what happens with, with this kind of abuse. And it's, it's so easy to stop it instead of invalidating the child's emotions, validate their emotional experience. Then you can figure out, you know, if there's a teaching moment, you can do a teaching moment. If not, then you just comfort the child. But here's another example of where epic labeling and listening to and reflecting emotions is so powerful.
1: Well, let's let's connect some more of these dots because 2020 is really pay dirt. 2020 has been a, a... Pay dirt as far as dealing with emotions that we had no awareness of a year ago. Now, so when we re- when we bring our frontal cortex in and we and we contextualize the emotion that we're feeling and then we go through the episode. Now that's episode number one and the first time we've taken a new step in a new direction. Um, perhaps in our lives, let's fast forward some and and see how we can be more emotionally astute to all the different areas that emotions are going unchecked in our life. I mean, let's look at some um, personal strategies, perhaps, about how we can take this methodology and apply it.
0: So the way that I teach this is is three steps. First of all, ignore the words. Second, guess at the emotions, which we're very good at automatically. We're hardwired for guessing at emotions. We really don't guess. might call it reading the emotional data field. And then the third step is to reflect back the emotion with a simple use statement. You're angry or you're happy. So how do you go about practicing that? What I tell people to do is to pick a low-risk social environment. Now, in COVID, it's a little tough because we're all stuck at home. Uh, but you could do it with a, chi- a, small, a child, a young child. I'd say up to six or seven years old, it'll work. In the beginning, I would not. I advise people not to do this with their spouse or partner. Don't use this technique on teenagers yet. You need to get skilled at it, so it takes some practice. If you are out and about and you're going through a drive-through, let's say for a Starbucks. Um, baristas or people who take your money at, at drive-thrus are perfect lab rats to practice this with because all you have to say is something like, hey, you look really happy this morning because most baristas at Starbucks are trained to be happy at 6 a.m. in the morning, right? <laughs> so you can, and, and it's low risk. If you completely blow it, it won't matter. Uh, and more likely, you're going to be really successful and you're going to see the immediate results of what happens when you label somebody's emotions. What's going to happen is they're going to light up. You just listened to them into existence. That's never happened before to them in their life, and they feel deeply validated by you. And if you're, if you happen to be in the Starbucks store, for example, which before COVID is where I told people to go practice. I mean, you got to be careful because you might be, you might, you might be opening up. You know, if there's a long line behind you. You know, you've got a barista or a person at the cash register who wants to tell you their life story because all of a sudden you're listening to them in a very deep way. <laughs> and
1: right.
0: that's how you practice it. You practice it in these very low risk social situations for about three or four weeks until you really feel comfortable with it. And then you can start bringing it into your family situation. And you just do it and you make just, you just do very simple conversational throwaways You Say, but, hey, you look really angry. Or, hey, you look really happy. You know, you use your tone of voice to back up and convey what you're experiencing. And you just make, you're just making observations. You do just start with one emotion at a time. There are six different layers that's more advanced. But for, for the, in the beginning, you just do one emotion at a time. And, and you see one of your children, and, you, and they seem a little frustrated. You say, you are you really frustrated right now? Or happy. Oh, you're really excited and happy. Just that's all you say. And then you observe. And watch what happens. And learn. Because the opposite this, this practice becomes self reinforcing because the gratitude you will get from people that you listen to will be so intense that you will just want to keep doing this and doing this and doing this until finally it just becomes a part of you in 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 three or four weeks of practice. And this is you can't even imagine how you ever were before you started listening to emotions. It's that powerful. And anybody can right. learn the skill if you're simply willing to take the time to to understand the theory behind it and have the courage to practice it. Because it is different. It is different. I like that.
1: Now the um, emotions were, are what cracked me open. Emotions were the cosmic two by four that crack me upside the head and change my whole life trajectory like a bug hitting a windshield. And <laughs> in hindsight, I can realize that before I got cracked open, emotions were a very, very, very prominent influence in my life that I was not aware of whatsoever. I had emotions right. in my psyche that I was pretty much scared to death of. And so what my right. ego would do would completely avoid any situation whatsoever that might bring that emotion up. And so I That's was right. playing a very cautious game with myself. And again, it's very important to understand I wasn't aware this was going on. Now, That's right. what I'm getting at here is just before we came on the show, we were talking about courage, and the courage to I'm gonna create a scenario in my own head to how many people have had their industry shut down. Um, I can't make uh, conventions or whatever's been shut down during twenty twenty. It takes some courage to don a new direction, maybe at an at a later stage in your life when you thought you could coast through. Maybe you're close to retirement, but you didn't couldn't quite make it. I mean, there's millions of scenarios with 2020. Uh, how do we take um, and and push through the challenges that we never saw coming, as we bump up against emotions that we never really knew we had? Um, what are some courage tips as far as standing up, even though our life has been in shambles, and everything is in total disarray how do we how do we strong stronghold courage in our own psyche to bring a different outcome out
0: well if you're talking about learning how to listen to and reflect emotions of, of, which does take courage in the beginning, um, that 's why I recommend that you change perspectives and think about this all as a big. Science experiment, and all the human beings around you are lab rats. And you're going to just experiment with these ideas on the lab rats in front of you. And that way, you become, you sort of, you detach your own ego, your sense of self from what you're doing. You're saying, I'm just experimenting right now, so this really isn't a big deal if I make a mistake. So that's how I teach people to do this, to overcome the social fears of of being stupid or looking stupid and making a mistake. If you're talking, in the broader perspective of how do you how do we pick ourselves up and have the courage to move move through life when they, when we have so many challenges the the key there is a concept known as resiliency and and what what it is is the ability our mental and emotional and physical ability to deal with unexpected severe severe challenges and the way that we build resiliency is by, you know, common sense stuff that everybody's heard, and if you apply the principles, they work. One is having a, a broad network of friends, people that you can talk to and rely on for support and social contact. That's tough in COVID, but, you know, thank God for Zoom and Teams and Skype and all the other platforms that are out there. We can, you know, in some ways, we're more connected with people than we ever have been in the past. So that's one thing. Another thing is to make sure that you're, you have a, a deep identity, a sense of identity. You know, we, I, we have many, many identities in our lives. So, you know, you could be identified as a father, as a son, as a brother, as a colleague, as a husband, as, you know, uh, a drinking partner, a poker partner. I mean, we just have a million different identities. Well, we should have a million different identities. Many people have just a few identities. And for example, if you identify with a a job you've got, a career you have, and that career is taken away, and you've got your identity wrapped up in that career, um, you're going to be devastated because you don't have the psychological inner resources to fall back on something. But if you have multiple identities, I mean, we were talking, you know, before the show and I was, you know, talking about all the different things we do. And so, like, I've been a ski instructor, and I play jazz violin, and... You know, I'm a lawyer and a peacemaker and a mediator and a a law professor. And I mean, I've got a husband and I've got all these different identities that, yeah, I'd hate to lose one of them or more of them, but but I have but I have a very deep and rich life. So that allows me the strength to push through the challenges that come along. And then lastly, you know, well, then the third thing, of course, is to know, how to know how to self-regulate your emotional states through affect labeling. Be able to recognize your emotions when they come up, because they come up unexpectedly. Recognize the emotions for what they are. Label them to yourself so that you can so- basically soothe your own anxiety, soothe your own emotions. And you do that through self-affect labeling. And the last is perspective-taking. You know, it, How important is this, really? Yes, it seems devastating to me right now in the moment, but really in the grand scheme of things, what's this going to mean in 5 years or 10 years? Is this is is this event going to have any significant impact on my life in 5 years? And anything short of a catastrophic injury to you, the answer is going to be no. You're going to suffer through some short-term dislocation and pain, you might even lose your house to foreclosure, but in 5 years Is it likely that you're going to be out on the street and homeless? No. The likelihood is that you're going to have another job and you're going to be back living life a normal life. And you'll look back on this and say, that was a real pain in the ass, but we got through it. So perspective taking is also helpful to give you the strength to move forward in the face of these challenges. And and I guess the other thing I would say is don't tolerate negative thinking. If people around you are saying, "Oh, woe is me," you'll never do that, or you know, you're you know you're a loser. Dump those people. You don't need to be around negative people. You need to you need to be around people who, if not negative, or at least neutral, and better better than that, positive people who can support you. And you know, I positive thinking is the one thing about positive thinking that I I do endorse is that it gets you when you are emotionally in a positive place. You, you tend to be more creative and more productive uh, and that helps you get through the tough spots you know especially the crises that so many people are facing today so that 's how you do it it's, and there's no one big cure all it's it's a combination of all of these things uh, to one degree or another that that gives people the the strength and the courage to to keep moving through life, even though you know we are facing the worst pandemic in a hundred plus years and you know, economic collapse and, and, you know, a crazy political situation. So, you know, that's what we have to do to keep our mental balance. It takes, and here's the thing, it takes effort. It takes effort. You have to work at this. It's not something that (laughs) is easy or soft or simple. If, If you want to be in control of your life, then you have to take control of your life. And that means that you have to take control of your emotions, how you respond to your emotions, and, and how you respond to the challenges around you. And that can be very difficult because it, because it just feels like there's so much inertia pushing you in a direction that is not good for you.
1: I like that. When you said easy, soft, and simple, it's not easy, it's not soft, it's not simple, but it's very rewarding, and it's yes. very advantageous. Um, th- there's a freedom that comes Along with with developing these tools, you know, the thing is, if you avoid emotions 100% of the time, you're growing your intuition with emotions 0.0%. And, and like you said, when you dabble with it at the drive-through, at the whatnot, you're getting feedback, and that allows you to start building your intuition about Correct. what's going on. And the more you do that, the more you have information that you wouldn't have had if you avoided it. You wouldn't have had that new information. So by getting your feet wet and and sticking your neck out there a little bit, so to speak, you're literally developing a rapport with yourself that gives you more stature and endurance that allows you to stay level-headed and grounded while the Tempest is happening all around
0: you. Correct. Really, what's going on here fundamentally is that if if you were experiencing emotional shutdown or emotional suppression, uh, and you or emotional avoidance, it's because you as a child did not experience emotional safety. And the pain that you experienced, uh, even though you didn't know. It, necessarily that was painful as a child your brain sure knew that it was and the brain's response to uh, pain is to protect and it will do that by numbing numbing you out uh, you know you see a lot of children by the time they're entering their pre-adolescent years are, are totally numb because they've suffered so much emotional pain because they they just have not grown up in emotional safety when you start learning, how to listen to emotions, listen other people into existence. You're not even doing it for yourself, and you don't even have to be emotionally aware necessarily to do this. But what happens is you're reprogramming your brain. And as you slowly reprogram your brain, you create emotional safety for other people by validating their emotional experience, and at the same time, you're creating emotional safety for yourself. And that's where the healing comes in. Very powerful.
1: Very nice. Very nice. You've written a, a wonderful book, um, listeners. This book will will certainly have plenty of input that will help you with your life. It's a it's really a delightful book. Now, where an hour can go by pretty fast. I want to make sure the audience knows how to get your books and any other services that you offer. Can you tell us about yourself?
0: Sure. Um, my website is Dougnol D-O-U-G-N-O-L-L dot com. And on that website uh, are I write, and I write a lot, a lot of blogs describing in a lot more detail what we've talked about here on the show last. In addition, there are links to, to my courses that I offer that are online courses that people can sign up for. And there are links on the website to get my book, uh, Deescalate. If you don't want to go to my website and you just want to go to the book then you can go to all the usual places Amazon Barnes and Noble all 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 it, this book is you know it's an imprint of Simon and Schuster so it's out there and you can get the book you can get the book anywhere if you if you get the book from my website then you you i i offer you up different different levels of training depending upon what your needs are and how fast you want to master this stuff uh and to and to what level you want to master this stuff and, um, you know, like everybody else, you get on my mailing list and get my blogs. That I write. Up, usually write this holiday season. I haven't. But normally I write an article a week around emotional intelligence, emotional competency, de-escalation, ideas and things that I'm thinking about and what I'm learning to help people live full and complete lives. And to try to fill in the gaps where our educational system has failed in terms of teaching us about our emotions and how to manage work with our emotions understand that's who we are we are emotional beings there is no sense in not training ourselves to be emotionally competent so it's DougNoel.com, uh and links there there are links from there to just about everything that I that I do on the internet and I have a pretty big internet presence um, so that's probably the best way to start to find me and of course if people want to email me happy to receive emails at doug d o u g at DougNoel.com and I'm a one-man shop. I don't have an entourage. I don't have a 1000 a people handlers. It's just me. So, I respond to all my own emails. So, email me and I'll get right back to you.
1: Well, very nice. Um, do you have any closing thoughts for our audience? I
0: I would say that if if you can, if you if you're out there folks listening to this If you can get this one concept that we're 98% emotional and 2% rational, if you can make that shift and get away from the idea that what separates humans from other animals is rationality and just recognize that that's a myth and it's not supported by science um, and that every single thing you do is emotional, it's emotional for you can't even be rational until you're emotional first and start to recognize the importance of emotions, and then once you recognize that, recognize that there are ways to learn how to become emotionally competent. There are ways to learn how to calm angry people or angry children that validate them in a very deep way. When you can make those mental shifts, your whole life will change in ways that you cannot even imagine. I mean, it's truly magical to watch and to experience. It's, it's the most amazing stuff I've ever seen, which is why I'm, you know, I'm devoting my life to it because I, I've just seen whether it's in the darkest depths of a maximum security prison where I'm working with murderers or I'm teaching senior analysts at the Congressional Budget Office in Washington, D.C., how to de-escalate angry members of Congress and their staff. It doesn't matter. The human brain is the human brain, and this stuff really, really works. Powerful.
1: Well, very nice. Doug, I want to thank you for being our guest on the show tonight. I very much have enjoyed this conversation.
0: Thank you Thank you for having me. It's been, been a great talk, and I hope that your audience has gotten some interesting insights out of this.
1: We've been talking with Douglas Knoll, and the topic tonight has been de-escalate how to calm an angry person in 90 seconds or less. That's the name of his book. I recommend you get this book. It, it's an easy read. There's a lot of great information in it. And I, you know, you don't even need to read the whole thing to take away some really powerful nuggets. As, as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, 2020 has been the year of emotions. I mean, that's that's been pretty easy to say. And so, to develop your own emotional skill set, I mean, this if, if you've listened to this entire. Episode tonight, you've got some skin in the game as far as it relates to emotions, so I recommend you get his book. This, I mean, if you work with the public in hospitals and schools and and even in social settings, and there's so many ways that uh, de-escalating uh, can really show up in your life and and for yourself. Life's a wonderful thing when you can show up for it. This is the last show. Boo-hoo. I'm kind of sad. This is the last show of 2020. Um, I want to thank Susan, who organizes all the guests, and she does such a stellar job at doing that. Susan, Susan and I have been working on this show for many years, and there's probably many more years down the road where we're approaching our four hundredth episode, and uh I think twenty twenty one will make it plain ten years and I want to thank you the listener um, It's always a pleasure for me to bring you powerful episodes like the the one we had tonight every single one of us has a has a superhero persona within our own being, and when we learn the the techniques and the Uh, skills that we can show up for ourselves in a more powerful way well that's what it's all about I'm your host Les Jensen happy 2020 and in just a day or two happy 2021 here's to uh, heaven on earth prosperity for all and uh, um, just a wonderful future thank you for joining me tonight
0: this has been a new human living radio broadcast to bring your soul's inspiration into effect and live your life wide open. Check out our host Les Jensen's latest book, Citizen King, The New Age of Power, at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening.